Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Bet Saratoga this summer with Naira Bets, the official betting partner of Saratoga Racecourse. New customers that sign up today receive a bonus match on their first deposit up to $200 with promo code SPA. Go to nyrabets.com for details and sign up today. It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan. And we are recording this on Monday, November 4th. You, of course, will be hearing this on Tuesday, November 5th. And the offseason has begun in earnest. The World Series is over. The free agency clock, I believe, will start ticking as Brendan and I are having this conversation. So certainly by the time you guys are listening to this, we've got opt-outs, we've got player options, we've got all sorts of things going on, and we will set the table for all of it. We'll talk a little bit about where the Cubs payroll stands, the stuff we've heard this offseason, and get you primed and ready as this stuff is able to start occurring. We, in the past off-seasons in Major League Baseball, it's taken a while for really significant action to take place, but we want to make sure that we are all ready for what is about to happen and as it should be, uh, hopefully, an interesting offseason for the Chicago Cubs. But, Brendan, I, I think if anyone has listened to this podcast for really any amount of time, even if it's just one episode, you know that we are not going to, even though we weren't recording on the actual anniversary, I think you know Brendan and I are not going to miss an opportunity to discuss the Cubs winning the World Series in 2016. Mm-hmm. So since we last spoke to you, we did pass over the anniversary, which was on uh, November 2nd. Could be November 3rd, if you prefer to celebrate. Uh, my family, personally, we observed the holiday on the 2nd, uh, as they, they did win the World Series uh, at 11.47 Central Time on November 2nd. If you were on the East Coast uh, at the game in Cleveland like myself or just live in the Eastern time zone, then you heard it on November 3rd. So if you want to do a two-day celebration, one-day celebration, celebrate every day. Uh, We're here for it, whatever you want to do, but we did pass that anniversary, so we would be remiss if we didn't take at least a second to reminisce on the Cubs winning the World Series because, Brendan, as I just said, the Cubs did win the World Series in they 2016. They did win the World Series in 2016, correct, yes. Corey, do you have any like traditions that you typically do to celebrate this anniversary? I know for me, kind of dark, but I like to go back and look at that Roger Davis home run, kind of go back 
in my mindset where I was when that happened, and then of course watched the last uh, ninth and tenth innings to see how it all went down. But what about you? Any any weird traditions that you do? Well, so I consume any and all content that is made available to me. So any what's the, what's the first thing you like you do? Is there anything? I mean, I you think just, you usually just the first it. thing I end up seeing is just the last out, the the ground yeah. ball to Chris Bryant, who throws to Anthony Rizzo. That usually just seems to be the first thing that that comes across. Uh, but like I said, I mean, I, I'll go through Twitter, and if you posted something about the World Series, I will watch it. I will read it. I, I will engage with it. So you saw the Pat Hughes video, right? Yes, Matt Spiegel. Yes, okay. that you had okay. mentioned before. Uh, I, did, I, I know. Yes. I, I did have some people reach out asking for that video, and Matt Spiegel actually saves it for the second, and he retweets it. But it's uh, it's on his page. If you go to Matt Spiegel from six seventy, the score, and it's literally just a recording. You can't even hear him doing the call, but it's just a recording of Pat Hughes calling the last, you know, But play I can hear and, him saying the words in my oh, head. Of course. So I put, I yeah. put the audio to the video. But yeah. it's it, it's just amazing to watch him call that. But otherwise, no, I, I, like I said, I kind of just consume whatever comes my way. I usually end up watching at least about that last half inning if not a little yeah. longer. It's it's pretty difficult, honestly, for me to watch the entire game. It was just such a emotional roller coaster uh, that's kind of hard for me to like relive. Like I get nervous all <laughs> over again. So it, it, it kind of just restarts all of that. Uh, yeah. But I, I listen to Joe Buck's call. I listen to Pat Hughes' call. I, I watch any and all content. I watch, you know, the David Ross interview when he gets carried off the field after the game. I was watching some parade and, and rally content today because uh, Monday the 4th is the anniversary of the rally at Grand Park and obviously the massive parade through the streets of Chicago. Also the, you know, uh, of course, perhaps not his best quote, but maybe his second best quote uh, when John Lester is introduced in Grand Park by Pat Hughes and he walks to the microphone and just says, how about this expletive? Uh, and then immediately <laughs> says, sorry, kids. Drunk John Lester is always the best content. There's but, nothing like that 2017 NLDS uh, right. drunk that, that, celebration. That is what now. I was alluding to when I said number right. one. Yes, when he says he yeah. blacked out for watching Wade Davis. and that, He's that giving middle fingers underneath the camera. That, that, that was an all-timer right there. That might be the best piece of Cubs content Ever. Yeah, maybe ever. Besides the World Series, yeah. Really just uh, quite exceptional. But yeah, so I, you know, I hope that everyone had a good time uh, observing the the holiday and and the anniversary. It's it's always fun, you know. Like I I think at some point you don't want to be, and we've talked about this, and it it does sort of relate to the the current team. You don't always want to be living in the past, so to speak. But I will celebrate that World Series every year on the anniversary until I am dead and buried. Uh, and you can <laughs> accuse me of living in the past all you want. I don't care. Uh, certainly people older than Brendan and I waited more of a lifetime, but we also waited a lifetime for them to mm-hmm. win that game yeah. and to win the World Series. And I am unashamed to constantly mention it, whether it be on this podcast, in casual conversations with my friends, on social media, whatever. I will never, I swear, never stop uh, reminiscing about them winning that World Series. And I assume you're in the same boat, Brendan. Oh, no doubt. And again, working in Los Angeles, you walk into our office area, the first thing people see is a World Series championship banner. There's no Dodgers logo on this banner, by the way, Corey. It's a big Cubs World Series championship banner. First thing people see, and I get so many comments on it. That's what you have to do. No matter what year, whether it's 2030, 2040, 2050, this 2016 year will be the biggest, most important World Series victory, any baseball victory in our lifetimes. So you can, you know, you can get crap about reminiscing it too much, but it is what it is, and it's a hallmark victory. My grandpa waited literally, Corey, his entire life. He got he's got to see when he was eighty four. Okay, so you have to, you have to enjoy these victories. You cannot let these go, no matter what year it is. Yeah, and it's I, I guess it's a little easier to appreciate now, and I, I certainly appreciated it at the time. But I think I, as I've discussed before, like when the Cubs are in the playoffs, it's a rough time for me. 
personally. I just, hate it. I do not like watching playoff baseball. Well, it's yeah, just, I mean, I'm, like, I'm look, I, I I want them to be in the playoffs. I want them to win, but I don't sleep very much. I don't eat very much. I spend way too much time talking to myself and like trying to convince myself that things are going to be okay. And, yeah, you go, you and, go full out insane. It's yes, just, it's, 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 it's not good for my physical and mental well being. Uh, but it it's it's always interesting in the years that pass. Every time that we we do, you know, really dig in and reminisce about this stuff, like. That series is insane, man. Like, it and is. I, you know, obviously it's sort of like stating the obvious, but it, it, it really is something that's a lot easier to appreciate when you know that they win and it's a few years removed. But that series is absolutely wild. And looking back at the way that some of those guys performed and the way that this team played when they go down 3 1 is amazing it's absolutely yeah. amazing the the effort that they put in to stage that comeback and and you think about Chris Bryant's homer in game 5 off of Trevor Bauer to tie that game which really feels like the most important home run in in Cubs history it 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 was a very weird vibe in the ballpark that night at game 5 and you really felt like they needed to get on the board and Especially with game. Andrew Miller in the bullpen right. right there. You know he's going to come in at the end of the fifth or end of the sixth or sometime in the sixth if you don't get a run right away. That was a huge home run, Corey. Right. And then Chris Bryant also starts game six with a home run to put the Cubs on top. They yeah. had gone quickly with the first two outs. Chris Bryant is in an 0-2 count, and then he immediately puts the Cubs up with just an absolute bomb into the, the seats <laughs> Off that in left ball, field, yeah. the progressive field. Beautiful. And that's another one, and, and we always sort of bring those up, but uh, any opportunity I can take to get that jab in there, because uh, you know we've been told plenty of times, especially in the mentions on Cubs Insider, that Chris Bryant is not clutch, and he only homers when the Cubs are up by five runs and stuff like that. I would direct you to the 2016 World Series uh, as, you know, a chance to rectify that opinion because he hit some extremely important home runs. Uh, But then, you know, just them running away with that game in game six. And then obviously the entirety of game seven is totally absurd. Uh, I, I think that it's easier for me to appreciate now what a wild baseball game that was. I think for people, you know, similar to us perhaps watching the Nationals and Astros last week in Game 7, like what that must have been like for people who weren't emotionally invested. Like that was an amazing baseball game. Um, Impossible for us to really truly appreciate because I was an absolute wreck at that game. (laughs) But it's crazy. So yeah, I I, I think that uh, obviously we could talk about this for five hours if we wanted to. I mean, I'd be happy to do a live watch of the entire Game 7 and just talk about it. But at some point, uh, there is a... Not a bad idea, actually. At some point, there's a 2020 season that we do have to get on with at some point. So I I think we'll leave it at that. However you guys enjoy that anniversary, or if you don't enjoy it at all for whatever reason, um, (laughs) I hope... Sorry. That it was good, and uh, yeah, we're we're going to keep doing that. <laughs> Hopefully, we have more dates in the future where we are also reminiscing about other World Series championships, and then eventually, like the entirety of the month of October, November podcast schedule is basically just us talking about the Cubs winning multiple World Series. But for now, we will settle for uh, November second or third, whichever you prefer to state that the Cubs won the World Series. But Let's get to this offseason and where we are. Like I said, uh, free agency starting to get going here. We're, we're several days after the World Series endings, so things can really happen in earnest and we can get this offseason cooking. So we do have some moves that the Cubs have made uh, that we can talk about, and, and I think that that will really set the stage for their free agent decisions, their trade decisions, and and, and everything else. So just to get the housekeeping out of the way, and then we can kind of pick and choose, Brendan, wherever we want to go. Uh, In the least surprising decision, the Cubs do exercise Anthony Rizzo's 
team option for $16.5 million. I don't think that one was ever in question unless you were wondering if they might work out an extension. And uh, while that was going on, Anthony Rizzo did win the National League Gold Glove for first base. So congratulations to Tony. He deserves any and all hardware that someone will give to him. They also pick up Jose Quintana's $10.5 million team option. We talked about that, I think, on a recent episode that that was something that they would probably do, even if we're not sure how Q may fit into their plans in the future going forward. That was a a pretty easy option for them to pick up. Options that they declined. Reliever Tony Barnett, uh, right-handed pitcher Kendall Graveman. You might remember they they kind of did a similar thing with Drew Smiley where he was recovering from surgery. They picked him up, kind of hoping that he might be available in the future. That was a $3 million option. They declined a $7 million option on Derek Holland, which was also an extremely easy decision. Uh, <laughs> I am not going to miss watching Derek Holland pitch. They decline the option on Brandon Morrow, opting to pay him a $3 million buyout instead. Uh, What a mess that ended up being. They declined the option on David Phelps as well. His uh, 2020 option was $5 million in some roster moves. The Cubs add right-handed pitcher Colin Ray, Rhea, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Honestly, that's that's one of those Cubs related podcasts. I believe it's Ray. Ray, but okay. who do I? What you know? What do I know? R E A. I don't know. Ray. Um, Maybe it apo- is Rhea. Apologize to Colin for for mispronouncing it. Yeah. And they remove uh, righty Allen Webster from the forty man and the other bit of news is that the Cubs will not, and I think we talked about this as well, they will not tender a qualifying offer to Cole Hamels. I, I don't I, I don't remember exactly where we both landed on that, but I'm, I'm definitely not surprised uh, at this. The qualifying offer this year is $17.8 million, and I, I think when we discussed this, I think the issue was I don't know if you want to be paying Cole Hamels that much money. One year, but coming off the injury obviously didn't look great toward the end of the year with the Cubs in 2019. So not really sure you would have wanted him to pick that up. I, I think it's possible that the Cubs re-engage Hamels and, and discuss a different deal uh, on different terms, but I, I'm not really sure you would want to take the risk at around $18 million for him without exactly knowing what you're going to to get, and especially considering we're not sure how much money the Cubs are going to have to work with, which is sort of a, which is a discussion we will get into, and and one that is a, a an entirely separate discussion. But Brendan, I, I just wanted to start with those moves that we did see, uh, the options exercise declines, not QOing Cole Hamels. Any, I, I don't think anything should surprise you there. Maybe Graveman, uh, but other than you know, a- anything stand out to you amongst those early moves here? Well, the Graven one was surprising just because you ask yourself the question, okay, if we decline this option on Graveman, why did we even sign them in the first place? And is it because we don't have the money now? Is it because the correct Campbell signing that carries over to next year is taking away some of that financial flexibility? Or is it that Graveman's rehab was not going as planned? We don't know. And so I think it's dangerous to assume that because the Cubs did decline Graveman's contract, his option, that they simply don't have the money. I don't I don't think it's like that. Like it very well could be. They just did not want to run that risk. And they rather give his spot on the 40 man when he comes back to someone else. Give us someone else right. a chance. Like uh, they put Colin Ray on the 40 man. Maybe you want to give someone else a chance as well. So I don't think that move in particular is going to signal that the Cubs simply can't spend or they simply don't have the, the payroll flexibility right. uh, by by keeping Kendall Graveman. I don't think that's the case. I understand if you're thinking like that, though. My first reaction was, oh my God, we can't afford $3 right. million. We are we are screwed for this offseason. That was my first reaction. But you think about it, you and I talk off the air, it's not necessarily cut and dry like that. Yeah. I, again, like, look, we'll see where the payroll stuff works out. And again, we're going to have a, a lengthier, you know, set the table discussion on this in, in a few we moments. We got all the numbers, don't yeah, we? Yeah, in a few moments here. But I, I think we, we do have to wait and see on this. Like, this is a guy who was coming back from Tommy John surgery, 
and, you know, who wasn't anything close to, like, a slam dunk, like, if this guy gets healthy, he's going to be amazing, right? right? And so I I don't think that we should be reading into this as any indication of what the payroll is going to be. I, you know, maybe they didn't like the way his rehab was progressing, and like yeah. you said, Brendan, maybe they just want to take the risk somewhere else, and... And I was complaining about the other deals in years past. Right. Like, I never liked Brian Dunsing at $3.5 million at an annual average rate. Yeah. I did not like that. I don't I didn't like you know spreading out the money on these seemingly low risk high reward guys. Well and and, and part of the up. problem is is that they add up and and I, I think exactly, whether yeah. we expect the Cubs to be super flexible with their payroll, not flexible at all, slashing payroll, wherever you think they may end up I do think you have to remember that even if these deals are small, they do add up. And no matter what, the Cubs are going to be pushing a top-tier payroll, and they're going to have to make creative moves. They're going to have to play within some budget, right? Whether you want to get into the, you know, Tom Ricketts has a lot of money, he should spend infinitely. That's a, a separate debate and not super practical here, whether I, you know, even though I do agree with it. Um, we have to remember, like, there's going to be a a set number. That's just how this works. That's how businesses work. And there there's not really much point in pretending that that's not the case. And $3 million may seem like a small thing. But again, coming back from injury, not really sure what to expect when he is healthy and gets going. And is that a risk you want to take? Or can you allocate that money somewhere else in a more surefire fashion? And I, and I think that's probably what this is. But again, I, I think you have to take somewhat of a wait-and-see approach with exactly what the Cubs are doing. But I just think that it's it's so far from a sure or reliable thing that I'm not really willing to read into that as any indication of the payroll stuff. And just to wrap this up, and then we can, you know, I'll let you, Brendan, kind of go further into the payroll stuff. Uh, I think this was all pretty much what we would have expected as far as these options and, and all of this stuff are concerned. Personally, I, I would like to see them work on an extension for Anthony Rizzo. That That's just one of those things where if Anthony Rizzo plays a game in his career for a team that isn't the Chicago Cubs, we're going to have a big problem, uh, just for me personally. And, I, you know, I, I don't care about how he's going to age or anything like that. Like, Anthony Rizzo's a Cub. There, there's, there can be no discussion of the contrary. So, he needs a lifetime contract, and they just got to figure out how to make that work. Uh, I thought that picking up the the Q option was kind of a no-brainer. I mean, again, like where you see him fitting into the Cubs rotation, whether you think that he could be someone, you know, that that they could look to trade as they maybe are trying to move things around this offseason— that's one thing, but you're going to have to replace, he, you know, he eats a lot of innings. He's very reliable in that regard. He gave the Cubs a lot of very good starts last year, even though there were some clunkers mixed in there. And $10.5 million just isn't a lot for a quality starting pitcher. And if you want to move him or, you know, didn't want them picking up that option for whatever reason, you, you got to tell me where you're going to get those innings from uh, because it's not really yeah. that easy. So other than that, nothing really stood out. You know, again, like I, I think you and I both liked the Brandon Morrow thing when they did it. It's a real shame that it it's worked out like this. I, I think obviously you don't want to be in a situation where you're paying a guy $3 million, $3 million to just go away uh, rather than, than keeping him. But Obviously, over the last couple of years, they tried with the rehab. They did, you know, the start, stop, start, stop thing with, with that so many times. And at some point, you just have to move on and just say this isn't going to work and we need to just cut our losses here. So it's unfortunate, but I think that is the right choice. So other than that, that, that kind of sets the stage with the moves that the Cubs have made to get things started here, again, with uh, not QOing Cole Hamels, so he is a, a free agent, free to sign anywhere he should like. Uh, and yeah. other than that, I will just note that of the Cubs we saw on the roster last year, uh, the free agents from that group are Nicholas Castellanos, Xavier Cedeno, Jonathan Lucroy, Ben Zobrist, Steve Ciszek, Cole Hamels, Brandon Kinsler, and Pedro Strope. 
So that is kind of uh, where the roster is at. And I am going to throw it to you, Brendan, to kind of give us a rundown on where the Cubs payroll is, certain thresholds we need to be aware of, and, and important numbers in that regard as we get ready to head into, you know, full steam into the offseason here. Bet Saratoga from anywhere this summer with Naira Bets, the official betting partner of Saratoga Racecourse. Naira Bets players enjoy world-class HD live streaming covering races worldwide, instant replays, exclusive bonuses, and earn points on every bet. New customers that sign up today receive a bonus match on their first deposit up to $200 with promo code SPA. Join today at nyrabets.com and make sure to use promo code SPA to earn your sign-up bonus up to $200. It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy. So the Cubs right now... They are projected to have an opening day payroll of $215 million. And again, the range here could be from 205 to 215, maybe 220, depending upon arbitration. But if we go to cotsbaseballcontracts.com and we download their spreadsheet for 2020, we calculate in the taxes, we calculate in the, the player benefits, we go to MLB trade rumors, we plug those arbitration projections in. Right now, they're at $215 million. The luxury tax threshold for 2020 is $208 million. So right now, the Cubs are already above it. There's basically no way they can go below this unless they make just a a complete wreck of this roster to get underneath it. There's, There's no way. They're going to be above it again for the second straight year, which means every dollar over $208 million is taxed at a 30% rate. So what does that mean? In 2019, the Cubs had the second biggest payroll in the league. $240 million is what it's probably going to end up. That's only $2 million under the Boston Red Sox, and that is $5 million more than the New York Yankees. So the Cubs spent an enormous amount of money in 2019, and that includes Craig Kimbrell's contract. And even if the Cubs did not sign Kimbrell and they kept uh, Ben Zobris on the roster the entire year, that 240 marker stays exactly the same. So if you want to operate under the assumption that the Cubs are going to stay within that $240 million payroll, then you have $25 million to spend right now. But we know they're going to be making sweeping changes, or so it sounds like, to the roster. That could mean, hey, we're going to move out Tyler Chatwood's $13 million contract. We're going to try to package Hayward with someone else to move around that $23 million. You can see so many different scenarios where the Cubs can move money. But point being, they have some financial inflexibility. $25 million to solve a lot of issues on this roster is difficult. You want to go out and sign Anthony Rendon? Well, he's projected to make $30 million next year. That immediately puts the Cubs at 245, absent of any other move. You want to go sign Nick Castellanos? He's projected to make $14 million next year. That puts the Cubs at 230. And again, you're not having a lot of flexibility. So the Cubs 100% have to go out there and move around money. And the major moves that we may see may not come from free agency. It may come from moving guys through trades, acquiring expensive guys through trades that way. So that's that's the picture. It's it's really difficult to find out what exactly they're at right now because arbitration is variable. But 205 to 220 million is a pretty big range and I'm comfortable thinking okay, we we're at 215 and this is what we have to work with. And it it, it kind of sucks, Corey. And that goes back to our point where when you have contracts like Chatwood, you have contracts like Brandon Morrow and some of these other guys who didn't pan out that adds up. And it's unfortunate that we've gotten to that point. But when you cut bait with someone like Kendall Graven, you don't even risk 
that $3 million. That has an impact on what you end up doing in 2020 at the trade deadline too. Those $5 million, I'm not the owner, but Tom Ricketts looks at that, may not want to be that flexible. And justifiably so. Theo has done a terrible job over the last three years in his free agent signings. Going to your boss, with that being Tom Ricketts, and asking for more money might be difficult. The Cubs will 100% have a top three or four payroll next year, and they will be one of the most competitive budgets in Major League Baseball, Corey. Yeah, so this is a, a very nuanced issue, right? And also one, like I said, where you really have to let it play out to see exactly what we're working with here. But I I do understand the kind of rampant concern. Tom Ricketts went on 670 the score, and a lot of the sound bites certainly don't inspire confidence that the Cubs are going to do whatever is necessary to make this team better and, and fix the issues that they had. And so I would preface this entire conversation by saying, and and I think I speak for Brendan here, but you can correct me if I'm wrong in that, like, Tom Ricketts has a lot of money. I said this before. They should spend as much possible to make this team competitive and get them back to winning the World Series. Full stop. That's how it should be, right? However, right, that is not <laughs> how the world works. That's what I meant earlier when I said it's just not productive to rail on that point too much. They have, they're billionaires. They should spend as much money as Theo needs to make this team good, right? But that's not realistic. That's not how businesses work. That's not how anybody operates a business. That's not how any of the other MLB teams operate, whether we like it or not. So Tom Ricketts is not going to spend $400 million on this payroll. It's not going to happen no matter how much we you know, yell about it. And no matter how much I complain, I complain all the time that my season tickets have gone up in price every single year. And the Cubs have barely made the playoffs the last two years. I'm not thrilled about it, right? But this is just how the world works. So I I think it's just easier and a more productive conversation if we just focus on the reality, what we're looking at, and go from there. Like, I I just, I I don't think screaming about that is, is really going to be super productive uh, for the the sake of of these conversations. But just to look at some of what Ricketts said, uh, a a lot of, you know, he he did go out of his way to point out that the top two teams, the Cubs and the Red Sox, didn't make the playoffs. Uh, He said things like, you know, you can't buy success always, and that, you know, the correlation between payroll and winning isn't as strong as we would like. So I I understand where everybody's hearing that going, oh my God, like they're going to gut this thing, like what's going on. And maybe that's what's going to happen. But I I would just caution that Tom is doing a radio hit and it doesn't necessarily behoove him when when the Cubs are going to be heading into these negotiations to point out to the whole world that they're ready to open up the pocketbook like Anthony Rendon, Garrett Cole, come on down, like we're going to do the blank check thing, whatever you want, we're going to make it happen, right? So I I wouldn't take this interview as gospel. I I really just don't see a scenario where the owner of a team is going to go on and say, oh yeah, we're going to spend whatever we need. Yeah, you... You got an you got an offer. Come to us. The Cubs are gonna you know the, they'll be there for you. So we'll see. I am pessimistic. I'll be honest about that. Like I I, I think that reading to what degree you know, though? I mean, like because here here's the thing, Corey. Like they they were still the highest payroll in the National League. Yeah, but I, I think the issue, Brendan, and and again, whether I just said this is practical or not, um, the issue is that. The team has needs, and I understand that Tom is probably pissed off. He just wrote a, like like I just said, he just wrote a $3 million check to Brandon Morrow, one of Theo's signings, to go away. Like, no business owner is going to be happy about that, right? But the, the, the question is, like, yes, I understand that the budget the Cubs have been operating at should be enough to make the playoffs. It, it just should. There's a lot of teams that make the playoffs that don't have that money. But the team has needs, and we can either address the needs and make the team better, or we can try to be fiscally responsible, you know, and and, and maybe you yeah. can do both, but it's going to be a, a tall task for Theo in this offseason, and, and it might involve some creativity, and it might involve 
moving around players you otherwise maybe wouldn't want to move around. So I think that's where the the largest kind of pushback on that comes from is that like I, I and other people understand that this is the second highest payroll. It should be enough money to succeed when you're competing with the Milwaukee Brewers who are spending what a third, you know, of of what you're you're spending. Mm-hmm. I get it, but like this is maybe not the time to be drawing that line in the sand because like you either can fix the issues or you can't fix the issues. Right? Again, it goes back to where this market is. What are the other teams doing? And the Cubs, again, are going to be around 230 to 240. Do we want them to go out and spend 280? Like, absolutely, yes. But it's not as if, and I'm not defending Ricketts, by the way. I'm with you too, Corey. Like, I'm, I, yeah, I'd be very upset if my season tickets went up. And of course, when you have guys like Strasburg and Rendon and Garrett Cole in the market, you have to put every effort towards at least entertaining that idea. Yeah. Um, I, I totally get it. But at the same side, we have to be realistic here. Yeah. No team, Corey, spends 280. 270. No one does. Yankees don't with that market in New York. No one's going to do that. So there's a difference in my mind between being pessimistic and then just being pragmatic, being realistic. And I think a lot of people, and again, myself included at times, I think it's an unrealistic expectation that the Cubs should be going out there and spending 260 to 270. That is not how baseball is working that is not how baseball has worked over the past several years now it's just the the way it is but i think where my pessimism comes from and i'm not ultra pessimistic on a scale of one to ten i'm like a four right now right i still think it's very possible for them to make moves i am most pessimistic about moving a contract like jason hayward or tyler chatwood around because if we were to do that if we can move out Jason Hayward and move out Tyler Chatwood and eat maybe like half of their salaries, 75% of their salaries. That would mean you're saving between 15 to $30 million next year. That can be easily dispensed to a mid-tier starter. Could be easily dispensed to even someone like Anthony Rendon. And that's where you come in and you can stay within your financial boundaries and not get too crazy while improving the team and going out there and signing the big guys. Right. My problem is, though, it's difficult on paper to see that happening. It's difficult on paper not only to trade Hayward, to trade Chatwood, but then to, to follow up with signing someone like Rendon in a timely fashion. That's where I see it being unrealistic. And because of that, I'm not expecting Rendon. I'm not expecting Strasburg. I'm not expecting Cole. I'm more so expecting guys to be moved around like Contreras, maybe Almora for a flyer, and the improvements coming that way. Right. And and all of this conversation includes, and I, I think you and I have alluded to this a lot, that one of, if not the most important thing that that needs to go on and has already started this offseason is the Cubs have to improve just the organization as a whole, right? Because we yeah. can sit here and talk about the payroll all day, you know, until the cows come home, whatever that cliche is. I think I got that right, though. I think you did. Yeah, good job. But what they have to get better at is producing internal talent, especially pitching, because that makes this conversation completely different. Part of the reason we are constantly over the last few off seasons talking about Tom Ricketts and the payroll and this, that, and the other is because at times it is the only solution for them right? Like there's just times where it would be lovely to say, oh, can we put together a bullpen with just guys that are on minimum salaries that we drafted, that we developed, etc. And that's not possible, right? And and we've seen some guys push through, right? Rowan Wick being a great example uh, of not someone that they drafted, but someone who was within their system that they brought up for cheap and had, you know, played a huge role for them down the stretch in 2019. And we need more of those guys. So we've obviously seen the front office, re- you know, structured a little bit. We've heard about the pitch lab. We've got at least partially a new coaching staff coming in, obviously with David Ross. So that's 
the the most important thing is they need to get better and more up to speed with some of these other organizations in terms of the infrastructure and their player development, their scouting. That needs to be improved, and that is way more important than anything else. I think that is is going on. But and that's why, like in twenty fourteen and twenty fifteen, the reason they could go out there and sign Ben Zobris exactly. and, and and risk. Yeah, you know where I'm going with yeah. this. And it's not just Rizzo and KB and and the young guys coming up but it was hitting on every other facet when you signed like guys like Scott Feldman and you can dish him away for other pieces you can sign and extend someone like Ryan Dempster and trade him for for Kyle Hendricks you can go out and get Jake Arrieta and you maneuver your way into a rotation that's relatively cheap and you have a guy up top and John Lester who's heavily loaded they weren't able to do that the last two years if they can go out and get uh, someone like a Jake Arrieta not a Cy Young candidate but someone who is markedly inexpensive and someone who has phenomenal stuff and you optimize it same thing with Kyle Hendricks you bring out the best out of everyone the Cubs unfortunately over the last three years have not been able to do that so yeah Corey we can talk about the budget for hours, we can complain about the the thresholds for hours, but it comes down to if they do not improve that infrastructure and bring up the next Kyle Hendricks, the next Jake Arrietas, then this is never going to get fixed. Yeah, ever. we're going to have this conversation every offseason. Every single yeah. offseason. So that, that that's where I'm at. And there's a lot of guys on the free agent market right now, and we have all their projected contracts by Fangraphs, which is... Uh, Probably, I think, one of the better outlets for projecting these types of deals. Uh, Kylie McDaniel, in particular, is the one who does this. Pretty good success rate on a year-to-year basis. And they also crowdsource these projections as well. So, I mean, we can go through these players. And, of course, you and I are going to say, oh, yeah, of course, this, this makes sense. I want that guy. But just to set the entire stage, right, the number one free agent, Garrett Cole, projected seven years, $35 million per year, $245 million overall. And then number two is... Anthony Rendon, $210 million over seven years. Then we have at number three, Steven Strasburg, five years, $30 million per year, 150 total. I'm going to give the next two guys, and then I'll just read off a few more names. We have Josh Donaldson, who I've actually seen the Cubs connected to just in like discussion amongst Cubs fans. Very expensive deal, Corey. Three years, $24 million per year. That's a big contract for a guy who's 34 years old. The number five guy, he just actually uh, came back to the Red Sox, but it was J.D. Martinez. And if he were a free agent, he would have been projected at three years, $26 million per year. Then we have Yasmani Grandal. We have Marcelo Zuna. We have Madison Bumgarner. We have Nick Castellanos, all guys within the same range. Castellanos in particular, four years, $14 million, $56 million overall. On paper, of course, Corey, of course, it makes sense to bring back Nick Castellanos at $14 million per year. That is the same deal with inflation as Ben Zobris when he signed that before the 2016 season. Yes, that makes sense. But again, you have to ask yourself the question, one, does signing Nick Castellanos preclude the Cubs from going out there and fixing their huge holes for their depth, for their center field spot? Does it address their leadoff spot that they've had trouble with on base percentage over the last year? Does that fix those issues? And will that give them problems trying to fix those issues? And I, 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 think, it, I think it has a strong likelihood of that being an issue. Again, if you sign Castellanos, you're going from 215 to 230. Now you have $10 million if they have that same threshold as last year to go out and make midseason changes, to go out and make off-season changes in addition to signing Nick Castellanos. And you can see it being problematic. Plus, do you want to spend $14 million on, and I like Castellanos, but on that type of profile where you have a hyper-aggressive guy, swings at 41% of pitches outside the strike zone, essentially very similar to Javi Baez, someone who makes a little bit more contact than Kyle Schwarber, yet only has 25 to 27 home run potential. He has to hit 300 or close to it every single year for his offense to outweigh his defensive shortcomings, which are obvious. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know if I want to take that risk 
knowing realistically the Cubs will be around that $240 million surplus. I just I don't feel comfortable with that. And again, we can always talk about these things, and we need to see what they do in addition to Castellanos. If they move out Hayward, if they move out Chatwood, then it's a completely different conversation. But for now, we have to operate that, hey, $240 million is the probable cap. And if that's the case, Castellanos may not be the most logical trade or acquisition. Sucks to say I love Castellanos, but that's just the nature of the situation right now. Yeah, so this offseason is is tricky for me, and I think that's why I have yet to and probably won't really state, like, this is what I want to happen or this is what I think to happen, because this is one of those offseasons where you really need to see, like, Theo's matrix of decisions to really understand pretty much any single thing that happens. I mean, even talking about, and we we talked about this, like the $3 million option being declined for Kendall Graveman. Like, I understand why people are, are looking at that and being like, oh my God, they don't have any money, whatever. But even a move as small as that, I would say, you got to wait and see. I don't know what they're what they're looking at. Like, and you compare it to the off season going into 2016, right? Where we knew what the group had, we knew what the group was capable of because we saw it in 2015 with them getting through the playoffs a little bit, winning the wild card game, beating the Cardinals, etc. And you went into that off season thinking, okay, they need veteran presence, they need contact hitters, they need guys that can get on base. And they brought you that, right? They got Jason Hayward, they got Ben Zobris, they went on and they won the World Series. It was pretty like clear, this is what this team needs. You can identify one to two to three players that will solve these needs. Bang, this team is perfect, right? Or very good that this, you know, we've, we've crossed off. I think as, as Theo has said many times, you kind of try to identify those things that will create the hurdles along the way for the roster. And you, you did that. You, you could identify it very easily. There were fewer problems. There's more problems. Yeah, of course. Right. This is a, a way more difficult thing. And, and it's only exacerbated by the fact that we are reaching the end of this period. I, I won't I don't like to use the word window because it just gets confused a lot. But you're 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 getting to the end of some of these guys' contracts, right? Bryant, Rizzo, Javi Baez. And that marks a you know, that's a pretty significant time marker for how we're operating in all this. So this offseason is even a little more confusing when you start to consider and remember that you're gonna have to make decisions on these guys, right? Whether you want to extend them, whether you want to trade them because you're not going to extend them and you don't want them to become free agents whatever it is, right? Like you're getting to that point where you need to know, and this is what I was talking about, like with a a Theo's matrix, right? Like what are you planning on doing with Javi Baez in two years? What do you, you know, that informs who you're looking at in terms of these free agents, that informs the length of certain contracts. It all goes together. And without knowing exactly what they're thinking, it's difficult to decide on some of these things. And and so I, I agree with you in a, in a general sense, like on someone like Castellanos, loved him. We I, I think we spoke probably more glowingly of him in the few months that he was with the Cubs than most people that have been <laughs> on the Cubs since we've been doing this podcast. Uh, so yeah. I don't think you guys need to look too far for how we felt about Nicholas. But I, I think you're right, Brendan, like without knowing what the 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 payroll limits are going to be what other moves they might make whether it is feasible to move certain contracts or move certain guys and what the return would be that's a tough contract to just say in a vacuum yes they should do that because it doesn't address all of the problems so i think the the way that i am approaching this particular off season is i don't really have any specific targets i i, I don't I, you know i'm not going to shoot for the moon here um but i just want them to make the team better like that's my simple stance like they need more depth and they need guys that have a a better more contact-driven approach added to the offense. They need to improve the depth and the strength, especially in those high-leverage roles in the bullpen. And I would like to see them add some kind of depth 
toward that middle or top end, may, you know, maybe of the mm. starting rotation. I, I think that those are the areas of concern for me, and if they can improve those things, I will feel pretty good about it. Uh, I, I think that you know, you and I talked a lot about thinking that the team last year should have been better than they ended up, and there's many ways and reasons you can dig into as to why they were not. But I, I don't think that they should have won as few games as they did. So, you know, I think that's important to remember. You do have an awful lot of talent on this team. Hopefully a lot of these guys, Chris Bryant, Javi Baez in particular, are healthy for the majority of the 2020 season and not dealing with some of these nagging injuries that pretty obviously take they down did, their production. Like, overhaul their medical staff, by the way. So a lot of the guys we're accustomed right. to seeing. Tim Buss, for example, he's off to the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, several other guys, like the, even the massage therapists and other trainers, are no longer with the team. They hired good. a few folks from the NFL. So they are revamping that medical staff too, Corey. Yeah, good. Uh, that was Thank one God. of those where it's like, look, we're yes. not in the clubhouse. I'm not a doctor, right? But there was there many, go. many times, and we discuss it every time in this podcast, where what they decided <laughs> to do with the you know, not getting the MRI right away or letting guys play through stuff even though their production tanked exactly to the day when the injury happened. Hobby, a lot of those Chris decisions Bryan, just the scouts, yeah, they, so all of them, yeah. They just didn't make sense to to an outsider and we never got good answers as to why they should make sense. So I'm fine to see a new group come in here and hopefully get some better results. But again, like I I know that, you know, maybe some people have more definitive plans that they want, but I, I just think it's very hard to handicap this offseason for the Cubs without knowing all the stuff that's going on at once. I, I think this yeah. is one of those off-seasons where you really can't make any move without kind of projecting each move and, and piece on the chessboard 10 moves in advance. I, I just think that's how they're going to have to operate this. And it it's going to make for some interesting decisions. I, I think you're going to hear pretty much anything beyond the table for the Cubs. I mean, obviously, I think the most rampant is is discussions of Chris Bryant, you know, that grievance still going on. And that just seems to be in, in rumors and especially amongst uh, fans that don't appreciate him as they should. Uh, that is, I think, the most pervasive rumor. But I, I think you're going to hear all of it, um, you know, because again, assuming that we are operating within some structured financial cap, right? Like Brendan laid out, I think you have to assume that Theo is going to be open to just about anything as far as restructuring this team and trying to put them in a better place to have a more successful season than they did in 2019. If I was shooting for the moon, right, like honestly, I think more than anybody uh, because he became available recently, I would want Steven Strasburg. I, I've mm, always... I don't know about that. I, I, I just I always love him. I can't do these injury-prone guys. Like my anxiety just ramps up. I love Strasburg. Yeah, I, I understand that. And and like I said, like this is also like I said, kind of like shooting for the moon, operating like money is no object, right? So if he you know isn't healthy, whatever, right? You're just throwing money at whatever. But dude, like his changeup on like back Trust to back me, days. I get it. It's just like I want that arm to stay alive. That's, yeah, that's no, my main issue. I just love the guy. I, I have a I have a, a spot for, <laughs> for his abilities. Uh you know how I feel about change ups, Brendan. I know. So I know. You know, you get that on one day, you get Kyle Hendricks throwing his the next day. It'd just be all change ups all the time. It mm. just you know, it just kinda gets me going a little bit. But um and you know look like I think if you watch those playoffs as well, like Anthony Rendon is amazing. He's an amazing defender. He is an incredible Would you hitter. rather have Rendon or Strasburg with these financial restrictions that we've discussed? If we're not just, you know, playing with house money and, and being silly about well, we're it, not. I so would this rather— is a legitimate question. Yeah, realistically, if you were going to say we're going to sign someone and we are going to try to make this work, I would say Rendon. I, he, yeah, he's no incredible, doubt. man. And, and like no you think of the way that that would lengthen the current lineup and, and just the skill set that he brings. I mean, I mentioned this before, but so many of those at-bats throughout these playoffs and, and into them winning the World Series were just so impressive. It, it he didn't is 
is Nat Anthony or the Count. Rizzo from the right side. Yeah, that's he's what he is. Really, just incredible. Um, and I'm I'm here for you know multiple Tonys, as many Tonys as the Cubs. <laughs> want to acquire I, th- I, th- I think that's fine but you have um, your right-handed tony your left-handed tony yes. same same skill set and, yeah, and one, so, one point there with with rendon before you go uh, away here i've seen several different ideas and I, I i see where the logic is i just find it hard to see that as a reality where you sign rendon and then you trade chris bryant again the obstacles that each one of those acquisitions or transactions present is enormous. You have to trade Bryant for a return of value, and the other team has to be willing to trade prospects and take Bryant's $40 million in projected arbitration over the next two years rather than signing someone like Rendon themselves and not having to deal away their prospects or current guys on the team. You know what makes the most sense is signing Rendon and keeping Chris Bryant, moving him to the corner outfield. Now you have Bryant, you have Rendon, you have Baez, you have Rizzo, and you have a really stable lineup. Let's just so do that. that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So like, if you're going to go and, and trade Chris Bryant because you're thinking, now we have Rendon just to replace him, It's it's. I don't think it's that simple. And I have a hard time seeing how every single domino can fall into place for that to happen. Plus, why would you want to do that? If you're trying to win next year, you can, again, put Chris Bryant, protect his knee, protect his shoulder, put him in right field in a more of a, a physically easy, uh, you know, physical easy position to play. That seems like the best scenario for for at least my point of view. I just, I, I, I can't see that happening, trading Bryant and signing Rendon. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think I can be more definitive that just about the last thing I want them to do is to trade Chris Bryant for any reason. Uh, so I'm, I'm certainly on board with that. But yeah, look, like I, 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 you know, and maybe you guys were hoping for, and I wish I could provide a more like structured outline of what I think they should do or what I want them to do. But I, I really just can't uh, without knowing exactly the budget they're working with and exactly how plausible moving certain guys is, extending certain guys is, I think that all of that really informs this because you have to operate under the assumption that it's going to be a tight financial situation, whether it's more positive or or less positive, right? Like, And so yeah. I think without knowing that stuff, it, it just is difficult. And I, I don't want to come off as as ignorant you know just without knowing exactly what's going on behind the scenes so like I said I think I I have those areas that I think they need to focus on they need to improve and we've talked relentlessly about how they just need to improve internally as an organization with the stuff that they're doing and I think that's what I'm just hoping for uh, in this offseason. But I, I do want to ask you before we we wrap up here, just on on a couple of, of Cubs, uh, just your general thoughts. And I, I know we're we're talking about the payroll and stuff like that, but, but just exclude this. Assume that things are manageable and you could bring them back without ruining whatever plan you had if you wanted. Of those guys, and we, we talked about Castellanos, he's a little bit different because that contract might not be that way. But guys like... Ben Zobrist, Steve Ciszek, Brandon Kinsler, even Cole Hamels or Pedro Strope, like those guys who have uh, elected free agency and and uh, you know are not Cubs anymore. What do you what, any any thoughts on those guys? Any of them you desperately want to see back? You know, someone like Zobrist in particular is a pretty interesting situation going forward here. If he does indeed, I think he's expressed the desire to continue playing, but that's, you know, probably not a sure thing. Uh, any, any thoughts on, on those kind of, uh, for now, former Cubs? Yeah. No on Kinsler, the injury history, the peck issue, the multiple issues he had at the end of the year. That's a no-go for me. So no on Kinsler, uh, Zobris, I'm guessing he's not going to make more than like $3 million, $2 million on the open market. And again, I know you said you can't think about the payroll, but realistically, this is what we're operating under. Zobris bringing him back for that for that price, two, three million, would be an incredible deal. Not only because of his on-the-field value, but you look at someone like Nico Horner, who's a second baseman as well, and you know what Zobris brings in addition to just his presence on the field. He's a guy who 
is a scout in a player's body. So I think Zorbis would be an incredible signing to bring back. And someone like Pedro Strope, again, I'm operating under the same assumption that he's not going to be that expensive. Right. So a $2 million deal for Strope, someone as a rebound, makes sense. What happened to Strope last year was early on, he had several different injuries. The hamstring, the neck, whatever, I forget whatever else he had. And the moment that happened, his velocity sank, his health sank. Everything else could not follow suit. So of those guys, my two priorities are Strope and Zobris. The reasons being is one, I think they have a lot of potential. And two, the price is not going to be that much. And they have uh, value in addition to just going on the field, I think. I think they could help someone, some guys like young bullpen arms and help them with their, you know, scouting reports, whatever. Just having that presence is valuable. In terms of Cole Hamels, he's, I love Cole Hamels again, but he's going to make probably 15 million. And I just don't see the Cubs wanting to go out and spend on Cole Hamels, similar to the reasons that we saw with Brandon Kinsler. Injury history, aging, when healthy, those guys were great when they were not healthy, they were not good. And for a team that absolutely needs consistency, they have zero margin for error in any of their signings. Kinsler and Hamels presents too much of a risk. Steve Sejak, unfortunately, in the same category. Sejak has had very bad hip injuries over the course of his career. He had, a, I think, a labrum tear in 2015 or 2016. Bad hip uh, injury towards the tail end of 2019. It, it hurt his value once again. We have zero margin for error. We need to bring back guys that are going to be somewhat healthy and have a higher ceiling, in my opinion. And I just think with Strope, he will not demand that much. With Zobris, I don't think he'll demand that much either. And even Zobris' value in the open market, if he's deciding between $3 million with the Cubs and $5 million with some other team, look, I don't know what his financial uh, outlook is, but I feel as if his comfort with the Cubs has a significant factor in his decision. So those are my two guys, Corey. Zobris, Strope, feasible, a lot of value. Seems like a no-brainer to me. Yeah, I think we're pretty much in in lockstep on that. I, I agree. I think Zobrist, uh, you know, he looked pretty good when, when he came back at the end of the year, and obviously he, he should have more time to prepare going into the 2020 season. And like you said, I, I think his presence is is one that I, I would try to keep around this team, uh, just his, his mentality and especially his approach at the plate. And, you know, and as long as him and Strope are, are reasonable contracts, I, I would have no problem bringing them back. And, and, you know, just on Strope, like, I don't want his Cubs career to end the way right. that it it would if he left at this point. He, he was hurt, and it just wasn't a, a good way for a guy that's been so important to this team to go out. And and I think that, you know, that's another one where it's obviously probably the polar opposite personality, right? Um, but I think he, his presence has been very important to, to this team. And, you know, you, you especially when you have uh, young Latin American players coming up, you know, having someone like Strope, who I think is, is someone who takes guys under his wing and, and can kind of introduce them and, and make them feel a little more comfortable on, on this Cubs team. I think that's important. And, you know, look, like Strope and Rizzo, like, are the guys that have been here the longest. Like, so Strope is one of those guys who I, I think is very important to this era of Cubs baseball. We talk all the time about, you know, how he's the only reliever in Cubs history to put up five plus seasons of sub three ERA relief. And, you know, like, again, like, it, it was a struggle for him at the end of the year. There's no denying that. But I think if you can get him healthy and, and on a good deal, I think what he has done for this team, what he means to this team and the clubhouse is stuff that I, I, I would try to keep around. Um, obviously, we, we are biased in this. Pedro Strope is probably the number one friend of the Cubs-related podcast. Uh, but he's been very important to this organization. And, you know, that that's uh, slander or, or any talk to the otherwise we don't tolerate here because it's not true. So uh, I would like to see those two back as long as you can do it in a reasonable manner. Obviously, look, like if if you have to make decisions on Ben Zobrist and Pedro Strope and it's going to totally throw your offseason out of whack, you're probably going to need to look elsewhere. But I, I don't think that's going to be the case. So I think if you can fit them in, I, I think that that would be a good idea. Yeah. But 
other than that, I, I think that's about where we are. And I, I think for now, we will plan on talking to you again next Tuesday. Uh, but we got a kind of a big news dump over the last couple days with, with all these options and uh, other things going on with the Cubs. So if, if stuff like that continues to happen, we will jump on. And then obviously, as we get towards the GM meetings, uh, the winter meetings, etc., I, I think you know, you'll start to see us ramp back up to two episodes a week. But as always, you can follow Brendan at Cubs Related on Twitter. I am at CF Cubs Related. So just two extra letters there. And you can DM us, tweet at us if you, if you want the exact schedule. Otherwise, we'll, we'll try to keep you guys posted if anything changes. And as always, if something major happens, uh, if you consider it major, we probably do too. And we will jump on as soon as possible for a regular episode, an emergency episode, whatever we feel like calling it that day. But I think that uh, just about does it. As always, we thank you guys for listening to the Cubs Related Podcast, especially uh, since it's been, what, Brendan, a month and a half-ish? month and a week since yeah, the Cubs actually that. played a baseball game. So we got a long way to go. Yeah, we, yeah, and it'll be a lot longer, yes. But uh, we appreciate you guys listening during this time. I, I know that, uh, you know, once the season ends, I'm sure all of you have other things to do and other interests that pick up. So we appreciate you guys tuning in and, you know, still engaging with us on social media and stuff like that. It means a lot, and we will try to continue to pay that forward by putting out good audio when it is applicable. Uh, But other than that, we thank you guys for listening. As always, never forget, we're just a few days removed from the anniversary of the Chicago Cubs winning the 2016 World Series. Never stop celebrating that date. Uh, And whether they haven't played for a month or we're getting ready for a game tomorrow, we always end by saying, Go Cubs! Keep your whole home running like clockwork from the office to the game room with Xfinity Internet. You'll get the best in-home Wi-Fi experience with reliable speed and coverage. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Get grill ready with Walmart. Find all your faves like Oscar Mayer hot dogs, Kraft singles, and Heinz ketchup. Then don't miss your chance to win thousands of hot summer prizes with the Seize the Summer sweeps. There's camping kits, backyard movie packages, gift cards, and more. Summer is what you make it. So get out, get grilling, and get winning with Walmart. No purchase necessary. Legal residents of the 50 United States, including D.C., 18 and older, or 19 for residents of Alabama and Nebraska. Void where prohibited. Promotion ends 731-2020. For official rules and complete details, visit www.seizethesizzle.com. Sponsor Kraft Heinz Foods Company. Bet Saratoga this summer with Naira Bets, the official betting partner of Saratoga Racecourse. New customers that sign up today receive a bonus match on their first deposit up to $200 with promo code SPA. Go to nyrabets.com for details and sign up today. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.